Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. So let's just pray together as we prepare our hearts. Father, we come expectant this morning, believing that when you speak, lives change. You've paid it all and you want to speak to us. So right now, I just encourage you right where you sit, just put your hand on your heart and say, Father, speak to me this morning. I want whatever you've got for me this morning. I come expectant. We're going to meet with you. Things are going to change. Father, things I'm holding that I don't need to be holding are going to fall because I'm in your presence. I'm ready to meet with you. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. This morning we get to start a brand new message series called Entitlement. And the message I want to start with this morning is one I would simply call Systems Failure. There are two mindsets that stand completely opposed to who God desires us to be. Two lenses that you can see the world through that at first glance seem like they would be opposites, but they're actually merely just opposite sides of the same coin. These two mindsets are shame and entitlement. Shame, according to the dictionary, is a sense of disgrace. The belief that one inherently deserves punishment and severe treatment. On the other side of that coin is entitlement. Entitlement is a sense of prerogative, the belief that one inherently deserves privileges and special treatment. A key word that links shame and entitlement is the word deserve. See, both of these mindsets, shame and entitlement, say because of what I have done or what I have become, I deserve fill in the blank. Shame says because of what I have done. I deserve pain and poverty, and I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be overlooked. If you walk under shame, then when life doesn't work out, you simply say, God must be punishing me, or God is teaching me something, or God's keeping me in my place. On the other side of that coin, entitlement says, because of what I have done, I deserve promotion, priority, and perks. 
because I've given a better performance in some place of my life, or I believe in some area I've arrived at a higher pedigree, I expect a higher position. And when entitlement is ruling and life doesn't work out, we don't say God is punishing me and God is teaching me and God is keeping me in my place. We say God is not good and God is not fair. Shame blames self. Where entitlement becomes a shaming system, you aim at God or others. Shame and entitlement. I would say that they're running mates in a campaign that has gone viral on the earth through a grassroots effort to attain votes. And it moves from person to person to person, from neighborhood to neighborhood, city to city, all across the globe. And it's able to grow because those who spread it most seem to be the least aware they're carrying it. See, no one walks around saying, I'm shaming myself. No, we think silently condemning thoughts. No one walks around and says, I am entitled. No, they simply protest and complain every time someone fails to recognize their rights or their position or doesn't do it, quote, the way I would do it. Shame and entitlement. They both live with a hierarchical view of the world. This is what I mean. With shame and entitlement, life is a ladder. Your whole view of the world is a ladder. And the goal of the ladder is to escape the bottom and to get to the top. But there's a problem here. First of all, you'll notice the ladder is climbing absolutely nowhere. The second is this, when you live on the ladder, the enemy of your soul constantly shames you. He constantly highlights every weakness, every flaw, every shortcoming. The accuser will tell you every reason you don't deserve to be at the top of the ladder you were created for. And the tool that he loves the most is the tool of comparison. To get you to obsess about where you are on the ladder by spending your entire life assessing where everyone else is. He wants to get you to obsess as you assess. You obsess, where am I at? Where am I, am I lower st standing in this group or higher standing? Am I seen? Am I received? Am I valuable? Is what I'm bringing here enough? Am I popular? Am I beautiful? Am I strong? And the way we determine that comparison with everybody else that's playing the game on the ladders. And so, every social media post of another person's successful life, every job promotion, every highly achieving child that a parent posts up and, and applauds, every dream vacation, every house remodeling, every post that is liked and shared way more than yours, every image of the world's airbrushed best becomes about you. And everywhere in your estimation, you failed to climb. So we live lives of quiet desperation. 
We want desperately to be enough, but we feel inadequate and invisible, and it's just here that the enemy and the accuser of our souls plays his second game. The first game is get you on the ladder, try to get you to climb up, obsessing over your place all the time, not on God, not on love, on you, and climb higher by thinking about everybody else. But here's where he plays his second game. It's to get you to look for people who are lower on the ladder than you as your source of solace and strength. He wants you to move from sulking in shame to searching for it in your brother or sister. And this is what I've seen about the latter game. The higher you seem to rise in your view of your place on the ladder, the more your shame turns to entitlement. See, the poisonous voice, it still shouts. But now the voice has moved from simply shaming you, which, by the way, he will continue to do till the day you die if you let him. No, now he moves beyond that to recruiting you to get you to join him in his system of shaming others. So we compare and we find fault. We cancel. We have opinions and complaints about everything about how they do their job, about how they drive, about how they raise their kids, about how they lead in ministry. And you'd do it better if you were in their shoes. Now, we don't say that, but all of our positioning and obsessing about the latter tells us so. See, this is the game to get you to pronounce judgment on people's thoughts and actions and motives and at the same time, to grow to expect the whole world to see you and respect you and understand you and promote you and fulfill you. If you're a Christian, the way the shame game and the entitlement game on the ladder works is this. He would like to convince you that you are becoming so good at being good that life should be a fast pass before God to blessing and comfort and things going your way. And for all too many followers of Christ, when it doesn't, the result is that God and our family and our workplace and that Facebook commenter and that customer service rep, oh, they're going to hear from me about that. See, we don't know it, but by playing the game, we've been played. By playing the game, we've been played because we climbed higher by pushing others lower. We didn't add value on planet Earth. We took it. And meanwhile, people who live under shame continue to act out in shameful ways because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And they make their lives nothing more than self-fulfilled prophecy. They become like every curse that the world has spoken over them, giving the entitled more fuel to feel justified in their judgment. The game of shame and entitlement is an ancient one that's been played. But praise God that Jesus came to uproot. See, there are two sides of the same coin, but there are also two sides of the same root of a tree of the same poisonous fruit. 
The Bible says this. It says the wages of sin is death. Anybody heard that one before? Popular Bible verse. It's saying this. Another way of saying that is the entity of sin is killing us. It started in the garden with a tree of a knowledge of good and evil. We remember the story. Eve ate it. She gave it to Adam. He ate it. But before that moment, let's rewind a minute. Before that moment, they walked with God on the earth as their closest friend. Our inheritance was intimacy. Before that moment, they lived in the midst of a thrilling and amazing mission to rule on the earth with God. They had purpose. Before that moment, Adam and Eve, they were completely in love with one another. Completely trusting the complementary ways they partnered. You understand, though we hadn't sinned, we still desperately needed one another. There were still weaknesses and shortcomings and flaws because the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. That's not a result of sin. That's a result of design. We've been made for community. Adam is not independent and okay on his own. Eve is not. It's not okay for the man to be alone. But in the garden before the fall, we were great with that. We walked in community. Genesis 2, it says it this way. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. See, this is the original design, to live unashamed. That wherever we have weaknesses or shortcomings, there's no need to cover it. There's no need to compete. There's no need to hide. We were secure and we were alive. And those were the last words of Genesis 2. The man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. And it rolls right into the next word and it says this. Now the serpent was very cunning. I want you to understand that shame is at the core of the fruit of the enemy. Shame is the core fruit that the enemy introduced on earth. But did you know in the Genesis story that its twin showed up earlier than shame? Did you know shame wasn't the first thing we experienced? No, far before shame was entitlement. You remember the offer of the serpent? He said, here's this fruit. This fruit will make you completely sufficient to know everything that you know so that you will be like God. What's he saying? That you'll have everything he has. Guess what? We'd already been invited to co-rule the entire kingdom of everything he has. This wasn't about intimacy. This was about insurrection. This is about overthrowing this thing to live in independence. We're going to have all God has. We get his kingdom and we don't need him anymore. And we said when we took the fruit, yeah, I think I deserve that. It looks good. I think I deserve it. Entitlement showed up before shame. I deserve. The next generation, it repeated with Cain and Abel. When Cain was told by God that his offering was outside of God's boundaries, when God pleaded with him in love instead of humbling himself and learning, Cain got offended because he told himself that he deserved the same blessing as his brother on his own terms. And so he killed him. The same thing happened when we moved forward to the Tower of Babel. God came to the people, the people that he'd called to fill the whole earth, and he said, fill the earth now with my glory, but it says that the people had grown great. And they said, no, actually, we think we deserve our own city. So they tried to redefine the order 
of creation, by their own rules, and in an act of insanity, you can go back and read this story, they built a tower, they didn't abandon religion, no, they just redefined it to try to get God to worship them. I would submit to you, I don't think we've completely left the ways of Babel behind us. The system called sin is most clearly seen in entitlement and shame. It's a pride that leads to violence. I want to give you a main thought for this morning, and don't worry, it turns much happier after this moment. Wherever you walk in shame or entitlement, your view of God, yourself, and others will be short-sighted because it is self-centered. Wherever you walk in shame or entitlement, your view of God, yourself, and others will be short-sighted because it is self-centered. Hear me, that's what sin does. Sin makes me the center of my world and messes up what I'm able to see. This is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Romans chapter 1 when he talked about our universal problem together. He says, although they, the human race, knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, with a broken heart, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. When you elevate your feelings, your thoughts, your opinions as the compass for your life, your thinking becomes futile and your emotions go dark. Your navigation system gets all out of whack. Anybody ever been driving before? in an unfamiliar place, and you've got your map app open, and you're having a great time until all of a sudden you're at this place where the interstate splits, and like one way is leading you to what will be your destination, the other way is probably leading you 500 miles in the opposite direction on the world's longest bridge that you can't U-turn. Anybody ever been there? And then all of a sudden your map, every time, only when you're lost, just suddenly puts that little hourglass of death. It's like, <laughs> we're thinking about what we're going to tell you next. And it won't pop up until it's too late. That's what happens when a navigation system goes out of whack. Hear me. When you trust your thinking and your emotions, your navigation system goes out of whack. That's what Romans 1 is saying. And you're going to find yourself on a bridge headed to nowhere. We lose our way in immorality and idolatry, making things gods of our lives that never deserve our worship. We find ourselves writing our own rules, we form groups, even Christian groups, where we try to redefine morality. We try to tame God because we don't like some of the things. That sounded too judgmental. That sounded too harsh for the God of the universe who hung stars. And I've been alive 28 years, so I think I figured it out. Me and my three friends, we're going to write new rules of new Christianity. <laughs> that road always ends in despair instead of delight. It always ends in anger instead of awe. Because you and I hear me, you and I make tremendous children and terrible compasses. 
We are tremendous children and terrible compasses. God is our anchor. So it will only be when his name, his word, his promises, his presence is elevated as our only treasure. Not him and when it's only him, that's the only time we will ever experience hope. There's a system of sin. And the system of sin is made to get you to design your house on you. Using shame or entitlement or both. And I want to tell you something. The enemy doesn't care which way we minimize the cross. He will gladly take us focusing on ourselves to shame ourselves in the way of just trying harder. Or he'll take us focusing on ourselves to blame everyone else. As long as we remain on the throne, it doesn't matter which way we flip the coin. Shame and entitlement are an illegitimate inheritance of the orphan spirit that has been sent to keep our feet from walking with God and others. To keep us grumbling instead of walking in gratitude and to keep our souls unsatisfied. Anybody want peace and joy in your life today? That'd be good news. If you heard there was a dispensary giving out peace and joy, we'd line up, right? We'd wait as long. Guess what? There's a dispensary. His name is Jesus. There's never a line. But you need to hear me this morning. Christians, you need to hear me this morning. You will never be able to say it is well with my soul by trying to be the provider and protector and promoter to make everything well for your own soul. You will only be able to say it is well with my soul when you go to the well for your soul whose name is Jesus. Only then will it ever be well with your soul. And only then will you understand that no other person or job promotion or rumor or circumstance has any power over your ever-increasing joy and glory. We've got to stop empowering the wrong voices. There's a system called sin, but praise God, there's a savior called Jesus. And he came to perform a system's failure. I want to briefly share with you this morning how Jesus silenced the system of shame and entitlement and how it changes everything about what we receive and we release on the earth today. And we're going to end our time right now. We're going to end our time in just a few minutes laying down. If you find something in your hands that doesn't belong there, you're going to lay it down and hear me. All right? In about, in about 20 or 25 minutes. I'm just going to be realistic with you. In about 20 or 25 minutes when we're done praying. You know, as pastors speak for like an hour and a half. In about 20 or 25 minutes, when we're done praying, there are some of you that are going to be walking out without burdens you came in with. Your circumstances haven't changed at all. That other person hasn't changed at all, but you are going to be changed by the glory of the Lord and you will never be the same again. Jesus came to destroy the system of shame and entitlement. And I think the clearest place we see this is in the last week of Jesus' life. There are three things that took place in the last week of Jesus' life that were just crazy. He was headed into the city for the Passover. Now, this was the time when the Jewish people were celebrating as they looked back on how Moses had delivered them. But Passover was also when they looked ahead 
to the day a king was going to come and finally wipe every tear from every eye, finally make all things right. They were looking for the coming king who was going to rescue them for good. So every year they came together and they celebrated in anticipation. But there was a problem for the disciples. Jesus was acting weird today. As they were going, Jesus made the disciples stop at a stranger's house and take his donkey because he said, I've got to ride on that thing into town. And it says that as Jesus went and they came near, there were people waiting in the road with palm branches calling Jesus their king. They were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that might not mean much to you, but to any Jewish person, that was a promise, a prophecy written hundreds of years ago when they said, when your king comes, this is what you stand in the street and you shout. And for Jesus, they were shouting it. But there's a problem. He was on the wrong animal. You see, a conquering king came to town on an imposing war horse to show his might, to show a threat to any who would challenge him. And here comes Jesus coming in, hee-haw, hee-haw, feet dragging on the ground. Maybe you've never pictured it, but that's the difference if you've seen a donkey. It would have been a ridiculous sight. And it wasn't a mistake. Because the animal a king sits on reveals the kingdom he sets on you. See, a donkey was known as a beast of burden, and it did three things. Number one, the donkey, when you had to go on a long trip, an epic journey from one place to another, a marathon of a trip, and you had all that baggage that came along with you that was too heavy for you to carry, it went on the donkey's back, and the donkey carried all of your baggage. Number two, as the trip went on and you got weary, or you got sick, or you got too weak to take another step, the donkey carried you. Number three, donkeys were known in their time as the means of production for their cities. If you wanted grain, often it was a donkey that would be out pulling the plow. If you wanted water, it was a donkey that was turning the mill. Listen, Jesus showed up on a beast of burden because he came to take yours. Jesus came to announce where the baggage you're carrying on this journey is too much for you. I came to bear your burdens. Where you're weary, I came to carry you. And I came to show you that I am the means of your production. You don't need to pull a plow or turn a water mill. All you need is living water and bread of life. I do all the heavy lifting. You simply come and receive. That was scene one. But Jesus was not even close to being done being weird on this day. Immediately it says that Jesus made a beeline to the temple, the holy place of God, on the holy week of God. This is like Super Bowl Sunday. And it says that he made a whip. And he started flipping over tables and drove all of the leaders out of the temple during their highest celebration. See, in their day, the system of shaming and entitlement had reached new lows because the people of God had created a hierarchy of classes at the temple to define how close you could get to God. At the center of the temple, there was this place where God's presence was. It was called the most holy place because they considered it most holy. Only the high priest could go there. So only one dude, only once a year. But then they had a place outside of that that would have been really the place to be. It was called the holy place. And it was a place for all the upstanding Jewish men. Unfortunately, in Jesus' day, it had not become a religion of every man, woman, and child. It was a Jewish man's religion, so they were allowed. 
right outside of the holy place. There was a pillar that separated them. And then it doesn't even have a holy name anymore, ladies. It's called the courtyard for the women. Can you imagine? Ladies and children. By the way, children, you were just left off the title altogether. That was your place too. Can you imagine, women and children, there being a place called the holy place and you're not allowed to enter it? You've got to stand on the outside. In fact, in Jesus' day, in the Jewish temple, women and children were excluded from much of the teaching and much of the worship. One rabbi even said, let the Torah be burned before giving it in the hands of a woman. Outside of them, there was another pillar, another separation, another wall. That was the place for the God-seeking foreigners, for people that weren't part of Israel, but they'd heard about the God of heaven, and they turned from everything, and they ran and went a long distance to ostracize themselves from their families to come and worship, except where they were supposed to worship, tables had been set up where the Jewish leaders were ripping them off. What they did was this, was they told every foreigner who came because of their racism against them, because of their hatred of them, and because of their entitlement, believing they were better than them. They told, no matter what they brought, they said, your offering is unacceptable. They brought it into a pen. They said, you need to buy one of ours. They charged a significant upcharge. Then on top of that, they said, we have to change your dirty foreign money into God's money. And so there's an additional charge. And then in their sight, they took that animal into the pen and sold it to the next person who came up. These were the tables that Jesus flipped over. But there was one more separation after them. After the foreign people, there was one more pillar. And on this one was a huge warning sign saying to stay out under penalty of death. And it was in this place that the diseased and the unclean and the lepers of society were called to stay. And here, in the one people of God, the sick were being shamed as the religious leaders who kept them there were 50 feet away singing about the faithfulness of God. And Jesus showed up and said, enough is enough. He flipped the tables over. And we all talk about that. Everybody wants to talk about when Jesus lost it and flipped the tables, but we miss the point of what is said next. In fact, it happened so quickly you could read right past it, but you can't miss it. In Matthew 21, it says this, and then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He brought them front and center where the system said they weren't allowed to come and once and for all, he ended it. But he wasn't done yet. There was one last scene. In fact, I would tell you this scene is one of the most obscure in the Bible and if you miss it, you just think, Jesus was having a bad day. It says they left the temple. Jesus was really hungry. He saw a fig tree in the distance, and the Bible in Matthew 21 says, though it wasn't the season for figs, he saw in the distance that there were leaves on the tree. Now, this particular fig tree only had leaves come when figs came with them. Leaves and figs came together. So it was a sign to everybody, when you see leaves, it means that there are figs. And so the disciples were probably like, Oh, praise you, Jesus, praise you, right? That like now you're going to eat and you're going to be better. I don't know. Maybe they were thinking like he was hangry, like you're not you if you don't have a Snickers, right? Because so far he, he rode Shrek sidekick in and then he went Rambo Jesus in the temple, right? They're like, get the man a fig. <laughs> but Jesus comes to the tree and upon seeing it, it's full of leaves, but no fruit. And the Bible simply says this, it says, Jesus cursed the tree, and immediately it withered and died. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you say to that? 
I can give you an answer because the disciples were shocked. They didn't really even know what to say either. The Bible sometimes is so funny because it says that they said something like this, a very awkward like, uh, wow, Jesus, um, how did you um, make that tree die so quickly? Like maybe another one just shouted in like, yeah, Jesus, you kill things good. I don't. But I want you to listen to Jesus' immediate reply. This wasn't a man having a bad day. This was a very intentional act that changes everything about where we live today. He says this, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it will be done. Hear me. Jesus was saying, my kingdom is about what I just did to that fig tree and inviting you to join me. See, that tree was incapable of bearing fruit. It couldn't bear its own fruit. It wasn't the season, but yet it was boasting and bragging and calling to the whole world with leaves saying, come near and we will be sufficient to feed you. And that's what religion of Jesus' day was doing. Instead of leaves, they had their robes and their prayer tassels coming and saying, come near, we have everything you need, we will feed you. They said they had the real thing, but they only had an orphan spirit of pride showing itself in shame and entitlement. And I want you to understand what happened. Jesus took that tree that had become a mountain that was obscuring many nations from seeing him, and he uprooted it and he drowned it in the sea. Jesus led shame and shaming and striving and entitlement into a complete systems failure. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, we look now to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated forever at the right hand of the throne of God. To despise means to make it worthless. It means to kick over the ladder. It means to put it under your feet. That's what Jesus has done in our lives, and it's what, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been invited to do. Anything else can't be Christianity. How do we do it? I think the way we have to start is by making a declaration as the children of God that we will kick the ladder of shame and entitlement to the curb and never pick it up again. What does it mean? It means no more being our own worst enemy. No more befriending voices of shame as if it's somehow morality and making you a better person. No more listening to the voices that come in your head saying you're not pretty enough, you're not this enough, you didn't do that right, you didn't parent your kids right, you've gained weight, you're not taking care of yourself. Shame, 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 shame. What does it mean? It means no more empowering performance and feelings, which are all over the map. No more empowering circumstances or others as the source of our joy. It means no more blaming and shaming and airing all of our opinions of everything we're against. It means that we trade being judges over creation for joy with our creator. I mean, come on. Is anybody ready to stop delaying your joy another moment? Am I alone in that? Is there anybody right now that's like, I'm done waiting for the day somebody recognizes me or some boss gives me a promotion or something changes in my financial situation or something changes in my health, now and forever I'm ready to stop delaying my joy and to receive it now. Now listen, over the next few weeks, we're going to get really practical. 
We're going to talk about how to tear down systems of shame and entitlement. We're going to look at things like cancel culture and virtue signaling. We're going to look at the haughty spirit of what I would call Wikipedia PhDs, where everyone's become an expert because they read an article or watched a documentary on Netflix, and we've become convinced that we alone have all the answers, and we're impatient and offended and suspicious with anybody who disagrees with us. We're going to talk about what to do about that. And by the way, what to do about that isn't just amening to that. If we turn and we shame the people that are doing that, we're still on the ladder playing the game. <laughs> we're going to talk about how easy it is to lose our way and define our entire life by what I would call first world problems. Making a crisis out of something that's not a crisis at all. In fact, many times it says it's light and momentary trials that are purchasing for you a glory that far outweighs them all. Many times we get angry at God for doing nothing more than answering our prayers to become more like him. We're going to look at how we can stop missing the beautiful life God offers us today. And finally, as we end the series, we're going to look at regular rhythms that end entitlement and grow in gratitude as we walk in community with one another and don't walk isolated. But right now, right in this moment, Jesus is standing on Main Street in your soul, seated on a donkey. He knows right now the burdens that you're carrying that are too much for you. He knows the things that you've got with a long journey to come, and it's too much. It's the kid that's gone wayward. It's the health report that scares you. It's the finances where you're doing everything you know how, and you're praying, and you don't have enough at the end of the month. He knows the burdens that are too much, and he's ready to trade. He knows the places right now where you're weary, and you're worn out, and you can't take another step, and he hasn't come to shame you. He's come to carry you. He's come right now ready to remind you that he is the vine and you're the branch. He's the producer. Your only job is to come in honesty wherever you are in this moment and to abide in him believing that he alone is enough. Jesus uprooted the tree of shame and entitlement so we could see clearly and run to him and lead others to the throne. The only question is will we I want to ask if you'd stand with me. And as you stand, I'm just going to ask for a moment that you would close your eyes because we have no I want to get three charges and three calls this morning. So as you stand with your eyes closed before the Lord, the first call that I want to give is this. If right now you are in the place that you are struggling with shame. Even as we start this time, I'm going to invite our ministers, our prayer ministers, our ministry team, you can come up front. And I want to say this as they come. As we have prayer ministers who are here, I'm going to give three charges this morning. Maybe you've come and what you really need is a touch from God that has nothing to do with anything I've just said. These prayer ministers are here and they're ready. I want you to make a beeline to them and tell them, you need healing, you need a miracle, you need a change, you need God to move. I want you to come to them. But also in the things that we're praying, some of you might be at the place where you say, I've prayed that a thousand times and I feel like I'm praying to the ceiling right now. Then you've got ministers here who are waiting to come into agreement with you. Don't play the game that you've got to be strong enough to hold it on your own. So I'm going to ask you, even as I give these charges, you can respond to the Lord right in your seat. If what he's speaking to you is there, 
But if God is telling you, you need another brother or sister alongside you, I'm going to call you all through these next few minutes as I'm talking to step out from your seat and find one of these prayer ministers. The first charge I want to give is this. If you are struggling with shame, you silently beat yourself up all the time, you are saying things and believing things about yourself that your father is not saying. Your life is marked by striving. You're up and then you're down and you're up and then you're down. You can never rest. You can never be secure. It's never enough. I want to remind you that Psalm 46 says that it's when, it's when we will be still, it's when we cease striving that we will know he is God. Right now, this is what I want you to do between you and your king. Wherever it is you're believing a lie, you're believing a lie about your health, your weight, your finances, your marriage, your kid. You're believing I'm annoying. I'm meant to be alone. Whatever it is, I want you in your own words, tell Jesus the lie. Tell it to him right now. Jesus, I'm carrying this weight and this burden. I'm believing this. Jesus, I silently beat myself up. I've never given name to it. But every day I'm believing this about myself and it's too heavy for me. I can't carry it anymore. Right now, would you tell him in your own words just silently, Lord, this is where I'm struggling. God, this is what I'm holding. And I don't know how to convince myself to see it differently. So I'm done trying to figure it out. I want you to imagine that weight and that burden, that thing you've been carrying in all of its lies. I want you to say, Jesus, I don't have any more answers. It's just too heavy for me, so I'm coming to lay it on you now. I want you to imagine you just taking that weight and releasing it right on Jesus right now, that you just release it and let it go. You might not have a single other revelation about how to fix it, how to change it, what to do. Listen, he's the vine. He's the provider. He's the revealer. Would you let go of the weight? Right now I speak grace over you. May shame, every voice of shame, even if it's gone through generations, things your mom or your dad or some teacher or some friend or some boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse or some broken person shamed you. We say shame off of you in Jesus' name. I speak over you the grace to simply let it go. So right now that weight, I'm going to give you like a, like a one, two, three, and I just want you to imagine yourself on the count of three just dropping it. You got that weight, you got that burden, you got that lie. You ready? Jesus, it's too heavy, I can't carry it anymore. One, two, three, let it go. Lift your shoulders, lift your head, breathe in deeply. Weight and burden off of you in Jesus' name. We speak over you the anointing that you would hear what your father is saying. We speak right now in the place you stand, just his delight coming over you. As we continue, you can just keep that music. You can turn it up a little bit so that we uh, just allow the people who are being ministered to up front to continue to be ministered to. A second call that I want to give this morning is this. You're at the place where you say entitlement in some way has crept into my life. I find myself most days dissatisfied, complaining, grumbling. I have an opinion about a lot of other people. I've lost my awe. And instead, I'm blaming God. 
I'm blaming others. I'm blaming circumstances. I'm blaming my workplace for everything in my life that isn't working. And I'm so tired of empowering the wrong system. And I want to let it go. I want to tell you the same thing I told those who are wrestling with shame. We can't work our way out of this. We simply come and we turn around and we say, Jesus, this is too heavy. You've come to bear my burdens. I complain all the time. I need you to change my lenses. My prescription's gone bad. My navigation system's out of whack. I can't see clearly. Somebody, would you just tell Jesus that right now? If you've been at the place where you've been complaining, instead of another moment of shame, instead of another plan to figure it out, Jesus, my navigation system is out of whack. I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my thoughts. So I'm inviting you right now to come and give me a new lens. I let go of entitlement. I choose to delight in you. Only you will satisfy me. Somebody tell him, hand on your heart, Jesus, you're the treasure of my heart. All I need is you. You're enough. I'm sorry for not being satisfied in you enough. I'm sorry for not trusting you enough. I'll let you lead. The final challenge I want to give is to every person in this room. And we'll continue to have prayer ministers up here if you need to receive ministry. But for every person in this room, we've been called not only to kick shame and entitlement off of us, but to join Jesus in uprooting that tree in our families and in our city, in Brandon, in Valrico, in Tampa, in Nigeria, in Haiti, in the inner city clubs in Tampa, among the foster children and their parents, to the abused and the abusers, to bring the kingdom of God. It's not enough. For you to lift your head and say, I'm free of shame. I'm free of entitlement. Praise the Lord, I can see. No, we've got to join him on the road and uproot the tree of the system of shame and entitlement. So I want you to join me. If you agree with that, you say, yeah, I'm all in. I want to commission you this morning. Hand on your heart. I just want you to repeat a declaration after me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. I reject shame. I reject shame. I am, I am. who you say I am. I am beloved. I am beloved. I am chosen. I am chosen. Listen, I know we're just repeating this, but there should be more of a smile on your face. Amen. I'm beloved. I am beloved. I'm chosen. I am chosen. I'm filled. I am filled. I'm loved. I am loved. I reject entitlement. I reject entitlement. I am yours. I am yours. Forever. Forever. What more could I want? That's right. Who am I? that you would choose me. You are good. And you've been good to me. Thank you. You are my portion. And you alone, you alone, you alone are enough for my heart. I won't empower anything or anyone else. I have you, so I am satisfied. And in you, I am home. There's one more declaration, and this is where we find the power that changes our region. It's this. Say, Jesus, fill me today to speak shame off of people. Convict me anywhere I'm seeing others or speaking about them 
in a way you aren't. Give me eyes to see. I want to agree with heaven. I want to agree with heaven. Fill me with joy. Fill me with and, right now, and right now, I receive power, I receive power and, wisdom and wisdom and revelation. And revelation. Right, now, right now, I receive all of your gifts, I all of your gifts to, remove to remove mountains that are standing, that are standing between, you between you and the children you love. Oh, somebody, we got to say that again in faith. Yes. Say, right now, right now I, receive I receive power, power anointing, anointing wisdom, wisdom revelation, revelation to see and remove mountains, remove mountains from, people from people who presently can't see you. And they're coming home, they're coming home. in Jesus' name. Oh, Father God, I pray right now yes. that you fill us with your spirit. Yes. Father God, we pray shame off of you, Valrico. Shame off of you, Tampa. Shame off of you, clubs in the inner city. Shame off of you, foster children and parents who've lost their children. Shame off of you, Nigeria. Shame off of you, Haiti. Amen. Yes. Father, we are filled with gratitude. You've been good to us. So we walk full of your power, ready to join you on the road and uproot every tree that doesn't belong to you. If you agree with that, say amen.